Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Medical Association of Georgia. With over 7,800 physician members, MAG is pleased to advocate on behalf of Georgia's patients and physicians. Visit mag.org and on Twitter at mag1849. Join the conversation on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX. Hello, everyone. It is CW. Thanks for checking out the Top Docs radio show. If you are a physician, hospital, or other healthcare provider that bills Medicare, you're going to want to check out this episode. I was talking with Dr. Doug Patton. He is the chief medical officer for the Georgia Hospital Association, as well as for Compass PTN, or Practice Transformation Network. We were talking about the Transforming Clinical Practice Initiative put forth by CMS, This initiative, also called TCPI, is designed to help more than 150,000 U.S. clinicians improve quality and reduce costs at the same time, keeping in mind that Medicare is changing from a volume-based payment system to a quality-based system over the next several years. The four-year $800 million TCPI initiative is being funded by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, and it's aligned with the Affordable Care Act and the Medicare Access and Reauthorization Act of 2015, or MACRA. The TCPI includes a network of 29 practice transformation networks, of which Compass PTN is a part. They're designed to improve health outcomes, improve care coordination, and better engage patients and families, as well as improve patient, clinician, and staff satisfaction, and of course, reduce overall cost of care. Now, the reason why it is so important for you and your practice or healthcare organization to understand these initiatives very well is because they're going to have a dramatic effect on your Medicare reimbursement rates, could make a swing of as much as 30% difference between the top reimbursement levels and the lowest ones. So you're going to want to stick around for my interview with Dr. Doug Patton. It's coming up next. Good afternoon, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Top Docs Radio Show. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. Got a special edition today. We're jumping on the stream on a Monday afternoon. Normally, we're kicking off on Tuesdays at 12 o'clock. But I have Dr. Doug Patton of the Georgia Hospital Association joining me in the studio today. And we're going to have a little chat and uh, talk about some things that are going to be important to your practice. So thanks for taking some time to uh, jump in on a, a Monday afternoon and share some information. It's my pleasure to be here. So Dr. Patton, for folks who aren't familiar with you, give us a little bit of your background leading up to where you are today. So my uh, career started in Cordial, Georgia as a general surgeon, in small community hospital setting there. I also practiced in a, a, a couple other cities around there, including uh, Taylor Regional over in Hawkinsville. But uh, a little over a decade ago, I had the opportunity to go to work uh, full-time as a chief medical officer at a health system down in southwest Georgia and became part of the Phoebe family. have been with the Georgia Hospital Association now about two years, uh, working primarily with staff to uh, support quality and safety efforts around the state. Um, As a hospital association, obviously, our efforts have been primarily focused on the hospital environment, working with physicians in that environment, of course. But uh, this new initiative that we're getting to participate in now takes it outside the hospital walls and brings us into the physician practices. And we're talking about the Transforming Clinical Practice Initiative. And from what I understand, it's all about, as you were talking about, improving outcomes, saving some cost. And so how, you know, talk, talk a little bit about what the initiative is all about. You mentioned the fact that we've been focused mostly on hospital settings before, but now we're going to be including that 
physician office or practice. Talk about how that's going to integrate into the the local delivery system. So our efforts have been driven primarily by the largest payer of healthcare services in the nation, which is Medicare, of course. And they focused initially, I believe, on the hospital settings, primarily because there's lots of opportunity to improve quality and safety there. Yeah. Plus, also, it's a, a much smaller number uh, of of environments that you'd ha- actually have to intervene in. But I think after working with hospitals now for a couple of decades, it, it, we've come to the reality that reaching out into the uh, physician practices where the, the next uh, next great wave of opportunity exists, because for the majority of us, fortunately, the, the, our, our encounters with the healthcare delivery system are uh, non-hospital based. We deal with our doctors a lot more than we deal with hospitals and the physicians who are practicing solely in those hospitals. So managing... Um, managing all of us to a better state of health, managing those of us who have medical problems to a better state of compliance and wellness with our medical problems, I think is sort of the next great frontier for CMS. And so from from the perspective that they're taking, obviously, um, let's just deal with the nuts and bolts of it. CMS is on an um, annual budget cycle. They have to go to Congress every year and ask for money. As healthcare costs have continued to escalate, uh, getting additional funds has become uh, more and more challenging for them as an entity. It's more and more uh, challenging for Congress to approve those kind of expenditures. And um, we know that we're spending money on a per capita basis at a pace that far exceeds anything else in the world. So all that to say, a key goal for CMS is to reduce costs. Uh, of healthcare, but when they look at it from their beneficiaries' perspective, what they're also trying to do is improve the health of their beneficiaries, not just take cost out of the system. So if we can, if we can keep people healthier, if we can avoid spending money on things that don't matter uh, for patients, like unnecessary diagnostic tests, unnecessary admissions to the hospital, things like that, by improving the way that physicians care for these patients in their offices, then we can accomplish both goals: healthier patients and lower cost. Outside of trying to manage the budget that CMS must work within, and it's an ever-growing number of people that are utilizing CMS services every year as our population ages, but are there other elements around, say, the Affordable Care Act and other legislation that are coming into play here on this as well, or was it more trying to do what we're talking about, be a cost manager for CMS's services? So certainly the provisions of the Affordable Care Act uh, support this notion of uh, better health, safer care, uh, and uh, clearly an effort to try and reduce cost. Uh, The the TCPI, the Transforming Clinical Practice Initiative, actually was initiated by CMS prior to this big piece of legislation uh, called MACRA, which came in last spring. And we can talk about MACRA, but what MACRA did actually was provide an operational pathway for TCPI to actually work. Um, and I don't, I'm not going to go so far as to say that Congress and CMS were in cahoots on this, but it seems <laughs> to be no. uh, a perfect, uh, perfect pathway that Congress, uh, in, a, in a very strongly bipartisan uh, way, uh, enacted in a very, I mean, in, in congressional terms, they were moving at light speed. It was about six weeks total from time of initiation to the time the president actually signed the, the bill. Uh, Republican-led initiative with uh, multiple co-sponsors, uh, seven Republicans and six Democrats. So strong bipartisan support signed promptly by the president. Um, and it takes a lot of the provisions that we had seen emerging as concepts in the Affordable Care Act and actually operationalize them. 
So that's kind of the, the biggest piece of aha legislation, if you will, that's come along since the Affordable Care Act, which is driving this work. Now, when we look at Medicare or even just the way we've been paid along the way in healthcare for the longest time, it's really been about procedures and visits and RVUs, things like that. But we're beginning now to to weave into that outcomes and quality as some measure of reimbursement, how they affect us up or down from what our original agreement rates are. How does that come into play here in this particular instance, or does it? So the, the, the simplest term that we use for that is this transformation of from volume to value. And um, under the current scenario, um, there will continue to be um, incentives for busy physicians. In other words, those who are uh, seeing more patients, doing more things, will still have some element of volume um, that will affect their payments. Um, but to your point, we now have um, sort of matured into ways where we have better evidence to say that if we measure these outcomes, if we look at uh, how many times a diabetic has to go to the hospital, certainly if, you know, if they're revisiting the hospital very frequently, uh, we can link that back to things that are uh, that we can measure in the office in terms of how's their blood sugar being controlled, how's their blood pressure being controlled, what's the likelihood that they'll have a stroke or not have a stroke based upon how well we control their underlying medical illnesses. So we've come a long way from the days when I was actually operating for a living where we really didn't have good quality metrics uh, just even a little over a decade ago. Um, and uh, in my small town environment, I, I laugh and joke about qu- quality was determined by how the wound looked when my patient showed me what it looked like walking down the aisle of Walmart. Yeah. Uh, but uh, now we now we clearly have a better opportunity to uh, to report on some of these outcome measures. And, and where we don't have outcome measures, we know that certain practices will get you to a better outcome, and those are called process measures. So balance of process measures and outcome measures. And we can we can do better with that now. And, of course, these things are continuing to uh, morph um, and, and and be reevaluated. So we haven't reached the end of a, of, of a, of a journey here. We're, we're still on that journey. So. Chief Medical Officer of the Georgia Hospital Association, Dr. Doug Patton, with me in the studio today for a special uh, episode today with Medical Association of Georgia. And we're looking at the Transforming Clinical Practice Initiative. And when you look at those quality measures, you've been a physician in the practice. Uh, as you look at what they're measuring for quality, if you will, in terms of how we're doing and and how much we'll be reimbursed for the services we provide. Do you believe that they are on track? Because it's not always, I can't always say that my own perspective, having been a clinician in the past, that legislation always matches up with with reality. But do you feel like in this particular instance, it sounds like some of these things like, you know, are we doing a good job educating our chronically ill patient around diabetes, for example, with behaviors that they could actually change that if I do a good job, then maybe I change their behaviors and help their outcomes. Do you feel like they're attainable? I, th- I think what we're learning is that we know better now than we did in the past. And as I said earlier, we're, we're continuing to identify opportunities to improve even how we measure uh, quality. We know, for example, that this notion of being able to measure hemoglobin A1C, for example, is something that's emerged not just in the last few months, but it's been there for a few years. But now we've got a significant body of evidence that suggests if you keep it below certain levels, your diabetic patients are going to do better and they're going to have fewer complications. We've got good evidence to support that now. 
in the past, it was just a matter of speculating. Well, I'll check my patient's blood sugar every now and then, and we'll see how they're doing. So if you use that as a model, then we've gone from a very crude way of measuring success, if you will, with diabetic management to a much more sophisticated way, but we're clearly not there yet. And one of the biggest uh, initiatives that, um, I want to rephrase that, a, a great area of opportunity for us is, again, to figure out a way to incentivize incentivize physician practices to provide the support and education for these very challenging patients. Um, In the past, there's been no incentive. Uh, Physicians were compensated based on the number of patients they saw. And the more you saw, the the more you made. But also, the better job that you were doing, basically by word of mouth in the community, the more patients. So you got busier and busier and busier, and, and you just didn't have the time to sit down and talk with them all. And as it turns out, much of these conversations with these chronically ill patients doesn't have to be conducted by the physician. Mm -hmm. You can train office staff. You can train others who understand a little bit about the chronic disease state to help provide some of that. But there's been no incentive for the doctor to go out and hire these people because, Mm -hmm. again, what you're doing is you're creating more of a burden for the physician with no incentive for them to be rewarded if their patients do well. As we move towards some of these alternative payment models, which we can get into when we talk about the specifics of macro, what we're looking at is reimbursing physicians better if their patients are measurably better and healthier. And so they'll have additional funds as a result of these incentive payments to hire social workers to help coordinate care to make sure that patients make their appointments and their follow-ups and things like that. We'll hire um, even uh, relatively naive clinical staff, young staff who haven't had a, a lot of experience and may not even be formally trained as a nurse or even a PA or anything like that, to be able to make follow-up calls and do teaching with patients. Um, and we find over and over and over again that where we can provide that support for patients, we wind up using the word noncompliant a lot fewer times. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've all struggled with the notion of noncompliance in patients and Physicians worry that they're going to be held accountable for patients who just don't seem to get it, and they and they and they struggle with being successful. Uh, that's understandable, uh, particularly in the environment where there's been no incentive for physicians to provide that additional support. But in the new models, uh, where they actually will uh, have the opportunity to save money by investing a little money, where they can demonstrate those savings, uh, they'll be rewarded financially for better success with their patients. We'll talk a little bit more in detail about macro. We mentioned at a time or two. Talk, flesh it out a little bit. What, what are we talking about? So MACRA um, is the Medicare and CHIP Reauthorization Act of 2015. And as I mentioned, it's a, it's a piece of legislative um, miracle working, if you will, in, in terms of uh, the strength of bipartisan support, the speed with which it went through Congress and was signed by the president. What it essentially did uh, in the Medicare patient population was create a model over the next five to 10 years where the reimbursement for physician services is going to be evaluated uh, in terms of outcomes with patients and success of management of patients. And for the physicians who do well in that environment, there's a, a great opportunity to earn more money. For physicians who are struggling with that model, um, then there's the opportunity to be assessed penalties, actually. So there's two streams of uh, physician reimbursement uh, at its simplest that we can look at. And sort of the default path is what's known as MIPS or the um, 
uh, incentive payment system. The uh, <laughs> having a blank, but uh, it's it takes basically and says um, you'll still be reimbursed based on a volume component. The more patients you see, the more opportunities you'll have to submit a bill. But the payments for those services, um, it's merit-based incentive payments. It just just came to my mm-hmm. my fading memory. Um, but the, under the merit-based incentive payment system, or MIPS, you'll still be reimbursed on a per-visit basis, if you will, uh, per click. But over time, physicians who are performing high on these quality metrics uh, inside their own practices will be reimbursed more, and those who are performing poorly on them will be reimbursed less. And it's a zero-sum game, essentially, for Medicare. They're not going to provide additional funds for the physicians who are doing well. They're going to redistribute the same bucket I see. across so, that spectrum. So it, it, is, it is sort of like the curve, basically. It is a curve. And um, projections vary. Again, they, they've just released the proposed rules uh, just in, in, in the last week and a half or so. And it's 962 pages for anybody who's interested in reading. It's available on the web for download for free. They've just released those rules. And so there's an opportunity right now to comment on them in terms of how they're going to do that. But but it, it ranges anywhere over the next five years for a differential of as little as 18% difference between the high performers and the low performers to as much as 35% between the high performers and the low performers. So on that scale, somehow or another, I mean, your competitor who is doing very well at some of these metrics may get paid 20 to 30% more than you do for the same service if you're still in that environment. Um. What Medicare would like to see us do uh, with physician practices, obviously, is move them into more of a uh, an environment where the physicians have more control, actually, over the spend for each Medicare patient. Different from the way we used to do uh, some of these uh, captive HMOs uh, back in the 80s and 90s, where uh, physicians would just get a check for every Medicare beneficiary in some of these uh, so, some of these products. Particularly when I was down in Florida, I would see this. And so the physicians actually had to pay for the care that the patients got, whether they went to the hospital, got referred to a consultant. They were actually responsible for the money that left their practice to go to some other healthcare provider. Mm-hmm. Um, there were no quality metrics then, so there was a lot of uh, a lot of angst about the fact that it, it appeared to be a situation where um, we'll just say it was easy to take advantage of, mm-hmm. and there was no no real demonstration of value for the Medicare beneficiaries. But under the current rules. The money stays with Medicare. They have a budget, and the physicians uh, and the physician practices agree to the budget, and they determine, you know, okay, well, we, we're going to now be responsible for these 1,000 or 2,000 or 5,000 Medicare beneficiaries. And what we don't spend, we either get to split under the current shared savings programs, or we get to keep in some of the more aggressive alternative payment models. And these are these are the ACO models that we hear talking about, the accountable care organizations. So that's kind of the alternative payment model to the MIPS. You're either going to be in MIPS or you're going to be in an alternative payment model. And ACOs are certainly one example of that. What it does is it incentivizes physicians to be creative. The entrepreneurial physicians are, are all over this because they're seeing the opportunity now at last because of the way it's going to be measured to, to be able to say, I've, I've known all along I was a good doctor. Now I can actually prove that I'm a good doctor, that my patients are healthier. And by the way, I'm spending less. Therefore, I'm making more. I mean, that's kind of, you know, and that sounds like nirvana and we're not there yet, but that's the direction we're heading with this. 
So I think it's a it's an opportunity for us uh, to do, you know, we're kind of bad sometimes about just hand-wringing every time there's something new from the federal government. <laughs> yeah. just, you know, oh, woe is me. Well, I, I lived through um, DRG payments when that first came out in hospitals, and we thought the world was going to end. We figured out a way to make that work, and uh, we've lived through the ICD-10 transition. And, you know, so far the world hadn't self-destructed. Uh, there's still challenges <laughs> with it. But, um, you know, I think as we get adopted to this model, uh, again, the entrepreneurial physicians that I talk to are, are kind of excited about this well heck being able to give yourself an 18 to 25 30 percent raise with your medicare patients instead of this year you're making 20 percent less than you did last year has been the trend over the past few years that i've been associated with physician practices it'd be a nice opportunity sure and of course one one of the key pieces of the macro act was that it it stopped the insanity on the uh, sustainable growth rate formula that had been kicked down the road every year uh by Congress, uh, ultimately, where there was a you know a 25 to 28 percent uh, axe hanging over every physician's uh, rate schedule uh, because Congress had, had failed to to act on that, so they fixed it. But their their attempt to recoup that 28 percent gap that they had allowed to accumulate is to try and get some of the cost out of the system through these these appropriate incentives. And where we see the ACO models that have been out there for the last few years actually working, we can we actually see physician practices uh, gaining some pretty significant rewards for excellent management of their patients. And you know we're still still relatively early in it, but there's 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 pretty pretty strong evidence so far to suggest that from a total expenditure on a per Medicare member per year that we're seeing some some reductions in that cost and and as, and as taxpayers i mean that's important for us all to be able to realize that there's there's an opportunity for us to participate in something which is actually going to reduce the amount of spending that the federal government's having to uh, put into the marketplace are there returns on the patient outcome side of things are we seeing some positive movement on things like rate of diabetes or rate of readmission or things like that that go around those types of conditions? So, yes, in the in the high-performing uh, uh, accountable care organizations, they're seeing fewer hospital admissions. They're certainly seeing fewer readmissions to the hospital. Um, and so, again, this is helping us kind of uh, shape this environment um, as physicians where for a while it's gotten to be where it was just a little too convenient to let your patient just go ahead and get admitted to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, because there was no real incentive for you to do anything different to avoid that. And certainly with concerns about uh, liability and things, uh, there was some sense of security in thinking, well, if they're a little bit more than a little bit sick, they may be better off in the hospital. We, we, we know now that that's not necessarily true. So the incentives now are back on the physician practices to say, well, what can I do to help keep my patients from making that trip to the emergency room when it's not really a medical emergency? So they're providing alternative access pathways for patients so that there's, um, you know, a better after-hours approach when people are having problems in the evening hours and things like that, where the, the physician practice actually owns the management of those rather than the answering machine which says, go to the emergency room. <laughs> yes. Now, what are practice transformation networks and how do they tie into the Transforming Clinical Practice Initiative? So in that uh, overall initiative, the, the TCPI, uh, practice transformation networks are I guess the best way, the shortest way I know to describe it is we're the implementers. And there were 29 practice transformation networks that were identified uh, as contract awardees under the TCPI initiative and Compass PTN 
um, is one of those. And Compass PTN, Compass Practice Transformation Network, is a well. It started off as a six-state collaborative. We've now added a couple of extra states to it, but it's um, the the prime um, contractor, if you will, for this is the Iowa Healthcare Collaborative. And one of the things I like to uh, stress uh, when I'm talking to physician practices here in Georgia is that. Um, you know, it's not easy for me as a doctor who works for a hospital association to have much credibility in a physician practice sometimes because they're like, well, you're from the hospital. We're a doctor's office. Why are you here? Well, with the Compass PTN, it's important to understand that the Iowa Healthcare Collaborative was an entity that was formed by the State Medical Association in Iowa and the State Hospital Association jointly to work on quality and safety and improving care for, for, for Iowans. So we've had a good working relationship with the Iowa Healthcare Collaborative on some other uh, activities um, in the past, and we've done quality and safety work with them. And so when they got the bid and were able to offer these services in Georgia, they reached out to us and said, can you be our agent in Georgia? So being uh, keenly aware of the fact that if the physician practices can't be alive and healthy and vital and in an economically sustainable mode, the hospitals can't either. Being in that frame of mind, we said, yes, we'll be glad to help with this initiative, and we will, we will partner uh, with the key partners that we need to identify in Georgia uh, so that we can be successful. And, of course, one of those key partners is the Medical Association of Georgia. So we've uh, started down this path of collaborating with, with MAG um, on this effort. Um, and and to be just to be 100% transparent and selfish, having MAG as a partner in this is going to help us with that credibility gap with physicians who might otherwise be suspicious. Um, but it's clearly to everyone's benefit. Uh, it's to the physician practices. It's to their benefit. The hospitals, it's to their benefit. But most importantly, it's to the people we serve together in Georgia. If we can work together on this and improve care and lower costs, um, it's good for Georgia. Does it cost my practice to be part of the Compass Transformation Network? There's there's absolutely no charge for the services we provide. And and when I'm talking with physician practices, sometimes they want to know, well, that's great. It's free, but do I have to do this? And I was like, well, the answer, <laughs> there's there's a couple of different answers to that. But, but what I try and help them understand is that, no, you don't have to improve your practice. You can leave it as it is. And if you stay in your current framework, then you're likely to be one of those people who's got the 20 to 30 percent penalty uh, compared to your high performing peers. That's one that's one avenue. And that would be OK. Um, it'll take a few years for it to get to be that drastic. But if you're if you're if you've got three to five years of, of active practice left ahead of you, that's how bad it could get during that time. So that's one avenue. The next avenue is to go out certainly and pay a consulting firm to come in and help guide you through this process. And there's some extraordinary firms out there who do this work and they do very, very, very good work, but they're not cheap. And so you can pay for them to come in, do the assessments and help you come up with a plan to improve the care. But it's not going to get you, the physicians or your practice staff, uh, you're not going to get a pass on doing the work to improve, (laughs) improve the practice. So it's in the mail for you. That's right. You, you, it's not just going to happen because you paid somebody a bunch of money to come in and point out what you're not doing well at. So it's going to take some work on the physician's part and and without physician leadership, this is going to fail under any circumstances. But then the third alternative is to have us come in and, and do this work for free. and, And we get paid indirectly through the federal government. I mean, it's the, it's CMS who's created this initiative. They contracted with Iowa Healthcare Collaborative. Iowa's contracted with us. 
And that's how we can afford to devote some resources to it. And so there is, there's no fee for it, um, but there's also no cash bonus in it for you either. You don't get paid to participate. It's not one of those things. What you do get paid um, is dependent upon how hard you're willing to work to improve your practice because that's going to affect your reimbursement going forward. So it, it also helps. Um, I've, I found myself in a number of conversations with physician practices who are wrestling with the notion of whether they should join an ACO or not join an ACO when they're not sure if they're ready to join an accountable care organization. And they say, well, do I take my chances with the MIPS, with the penalties or the rewards, or do I join an ACO? And what I try and help them understand is that we can actually help with that. We can help through the assessment process. We can help improve their performance on things and and, and get them ready so that they can make a wise and a thoughtful choice about that rather than just take, you know, potluck and say, well, you know, I've got friends who've been part of uh, ACOs who are now trying to get out of them because they went into it not knowing whether they were going to be successful or not. And what we can do through the assessment process and through the performance improvement work that we can do over the next four years is help them get ready to either be successful in MIPS or to make the thoughtful, conscious decision that we know we can be successful in an ACO, so we're going to make that move. What is involved for my practice from physician's time, from practice management or support staff to begin working with, say, a Compass PTN and move towards, you know, say, the MIPS program and that kind of thing? What do I have to do? I mean, some, I'm sure you're getting a lot. I just don't have time. That's right, and, and everybody's busy, and, and we get that, and we understand it. Um, the generic answer to that is it, it depends. Uh, some, some of it depends upon how uh, well um, the practice currently uses an EHR. If, if the uh, physician practice is currently using um, an electronic health record, which already does electronic data submission and things like that on an almost automatic basis for PQRS and other things, uh, that part of the work becomes very easy. Um, what's, what's not easy and what can't be escaped is this notion that it takes physician leadership time to work with the peers and colleagues inside the practice to identify the opportunities uh, for improvement. One of the things that we offer as a practice transformation network is this degree of flexibility, which says, you know, we're not going to come in and be overly prescriptive and tell you, all right, so in January we're going to work on diabetes, in February we're going to work on high blood pressure. And we're not going to do that. What we're going to do through the assessment process is, is identify what the opportunities are through metrics and then sit with the physician leaders and say, here's your opportunities. Which one of these do you want to focus on? And by the way, we're not going to try and boil the ocean. We're going to pick one thing at a time, <laughs> and we're going to work with you in what we call this uh, rapid cycle improvement uh, phenomenon. It's been uh, – you know, promoted by by IHI for for decades now, which is this notion of, again, don't try and fix everything all at once. Um, f- pick something, focus on it, improve it, and take the lessons you learned from that and move on to the next thing. Sort of like dead elimination practice, you know, yeah, in a way. That's right. You know, in terms of how you approach that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in terms of priority and and yeah. that sort of thing. Are you are you in in the process? Are you finding that with the EMRs and their cloud computing and, and reporting capacities that you're able to identify some of those red flag areas readily through the EMR? Is that where this is, a lot of this is coming from? It's in the, in those who have, um, you know, pretty sophisticated EMRs and are used to retrieving that data. Yes. That's one of the, one of the key avenues. We still have physician practices that are on paper and we're yeah. still willing to work with them. I heard uh, some of the government places are some of the ones that are <laughs> the well, biggest laggards. it's, 
it's there's a lot of variability and we'll just leave it at that but, <laughs> but, but what we don't want to do is make somebody feel like well if i don't have a uh, you know a jam up uh ehr then i can't participate well we're willing to work with physician practices whether they're solo practice or you know 200 physicians in a multi-specialty clinic uh, whether they're on paper or whether they're in a, a high-end sophisticated ehr and what we do know from from our uh, last uh, five to six years experience is as physicians went out and purchased emrs or upgraded their emrs there's still a lot of variability in terms of how those EMRs gather information and their ability to report it. And certainly, you know, when you start talking about things like being able to share information either between providers or even with patients themselves, there's an incredible amount of variability. We expect that over the three to four years of this engagement, that one of the things we can do is, is help physicians also evaluate, you know, okay, so we spent a bunch of money on this EMR. We got our meaningful use refunds back. Um, but is this the EMR that we want to stay with, you know? And so in, in these performance improvement, um, efforts, I think it'll help us look even at those aspects of practice and determine what's the most efficient, effective way for you to document the clinical encounters going forward and be able to report your success. Talking with chief medical officer of Georgia hospital association and compass practice transformation network, Dr. Doug Patton and we've been discussing the transforming clinical practice initiative. We've talked about the fact that CMS reimbursement is essentially a zero sum game. And as we have these initiatives in place that will take physician A's reimbursement up a couple of ticks, that means physician C's reimbursement. If he's not higher than physician A, then his or her reimbursement goes down a couple of ticks. Does that mean that there's a a finite number of people from a physician's perspective that say a compass PTN would serve? I mean, do you see what I'm saying? Is there a a limited number of seats available to get engaged with compass PTN? We, our, our recruitment target is a thousand physicians, nurse practitioners, and PAs in those practices um, um, for the state of Georgia. But that's kind of what our capacity is uh, at this point. What we'd like to see is that, you know, this is, a again, it's a four-year initiative, and we're still in the recruitment phase of, of year one. But over the four years, what we'd like to see is physician practices actually, quote, graduate from our program uh, and either move into an alternative payment model or realize that, that they don't need our services anymore because we've helped them get to a level of proficiency. And if they graduate, then that creates more capacity. So, you know, our, our goal all along is to have no fewer than 1,000 providers in, in the pipeline at any time. So we talked about ACOs. Uh, obviously, there's commercial payers out there. If I'm involved either through an ACO or I'm also taking reimbursements from commercial payers, does that affect me in any way in this, in this, in this regard? So if you're currently a member of a Medicare uh, ACO, then you're not eligible to participate in the in the practice transformation network activity. The reason for that is that if you're currently involved in a in an ACO, there's there's sort of a presumption that you're at a certain level of sophistication about with your EMR. You're able to gather information from that clinical record and report it. Um, whether you're successful or not uh, in that model economically depends on your performance. But there's a presumption on Medicare's part that if you're already in an ACO you're less likely to need this help. Uh, so this is targeted specifically for people who are outside of that environment and to provide them the help. Um, I will tell you that I've got a number of physician practices who are currently in ACOs. 
they're not receiving um, any kind of financial um, bonus, if you will, for, for the shared savings. And sometimes it's because they're part of an ACO where they, they're paired with low performers. So they, in their own practice, might be a high-performing group. They've got great results, but they're paired with another uh, group of physicians that's not performing well, and so their their results are commingled, and they're not, get, they're not getting it. So some practices are looking at jumping out of the ACO environment, kind of retooling for a year or two, and then making, a, again, a thoughtful decision about what's the go-forward strategy. Do we, do we uh, find another partner? Do we grow our Medicare business? What are we going to do so that we can be successful in that environment? Um, if you're in a, um, a commercial insurance shared savings program, you're still eligible for this. This, is, this does not exclude those providers. I don't take Medicare, Medicaid. Do I need this? Well, um, the question is, is uh, how long do you think it will take before the private payers turn to this model? And that's right now, it's, it's not known exactly, but we do know historically that uh, once Medicare has gone down a path and they've yeah. proven that, you know, it, it helps curb or, or contain costs, um, or at least limit the growth uh, on costs uh, that other com- the commercial payers uh, tend to follow suit. So I don't think that this is something that you can run and hide from. Um, and, you know, the truth is, is that, and, and this is me being a little bit lofty-minded again, but, you know, most of us went into the business to be physicians because we like the idea of, of having, we, we like to believe we're really good doctors. And if you're participating in an environment where you can actually measure your outcomes and report them and be rewarded for that, there's some professional satisfaction in that. So we know that there's, at least right now, a limited number of seats available, around 1,000 total. So there would make sense that if I want to have access to the resources and expertise that comes with engaging with a Compass PTN, for example, how do I get started? Well, if you sign up today, we'll throw in a few glasses and some towels. Awesome. <laughs> We're, we are actively recruiting, and, and we've got um, a number of physician practices, um, some small and some very large, that are, um, you know, giving real serious thought to this. And, you know, we're not, we're not out to um, try and get people to sign up and buy this car today. It's not that kind of a negotiation. What we do want is people who are thoughtful and want to enter into this process. But at some point, I mean, our resources will get to the point where we have to say, no, we, we're full. We don't have enough additional staff at this point to accept new practices until someone leaves the, the the PTN. And again, over the three to four years, we'd love to see a bunch of physician practices kind of graduate, make that move, go on to an ACO, go on to the next payment model um, because they can prove that they're successful in it. And that would create capacity for us again. Um, you know, our, our target to get to that thousand, um, we're, we're trying to get there uh, very quickly. We'd like to be there by mid-June. Uh, so we don't have much time left on that. So, Any place they need to go to get more information? So you can go to the website. Uh, you can just act, do what the rest of us do, which is Google Compass, P-T-N, C-O-M-P-A-S-S, P-T-N. Google that, and it'll take you straight to the Iowa Healthcare Collaborative site with all the information on it. Um, you can also um, contact me um, at the Georgia Hospital Association, and um, that's uh, real easy. It's dpatten, D-P-A-T-T-E-N at gha.org and we have other staff as well but uh, we're grateful to do that again 
we're partnering with uh, with MAG on this, and we're also partnering, you know, with some of the the national organizations. Uh, in addition to the AMA, the American College of Physicians, American Academy of Family Physicians, and others are uh, promoting this. But they'll direct you to to any number of practice transformation networks. And although I'm biased, and I think we offer uh, sort of a unique set of services here in Georgia, um, I think it's important for physicians to get some help whether they choose us or choose somebody else, because this, this practice transformation network activity, whether it's us or one of the others, uh, is important if you want to be successful going forward. The train's definitely leaving the station. You want to be on it rather than standing on the sidelines there watching it leave. So get involved with Compass PTN while they still have room. If you want more information about Georgia Hospital Association, go to their website at gha.org news and plenty of information about goings on with the hospital association here in Georgia. We've been talking with Dr. Doug Patton. Do I have final thoughts from you before I let you get back to the office? What many of my young friends would consider to be one of those old farts who's not supposed to be able to change. But this is really, um, to me, one of the most exciting times in the practice of medicine. Again, it's this notion of being able to be able to demonstrate, you know, that I'm doing well as a physician. My patients do well. And by the way, because they're doing well and because I'm busy, I'm going to be financially incentivized to keep that up. That's exciting. And I think what it'll help us do is actually uh, refocus our efforts on how to keep people well for once in my life, because we've been talking about preventive health for as long as I've been in the business. But now we actually have a way for that to work, work well for patients and appropriately incentivized physicians. If you haven't done so already, in the upper left-hand corner of the Top Docs Radio Show page, you'll see the Apple logo there. That'll take you to the iTunes store where the Top Docs Radio Show podcast lives. And subscribe to us there. That way, when the new episodes come out, like this special edition, it'll be sitting there waiting for you on your device for the ride to work, walking the dog, whatever the case may be for you. And we hope you turn around and share it with your social media network and on your website, because this is some great information. You might just be putting it in the hands of somebody that you care about, a colleague, friend of yours, whatever the case may be, that makes a big difference for their practice and their patients. So we hope you turn around and share it for us. And we'll say thanks in advance for that. Dr. Patton, thanks for taking some time this afternoon. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And of course, for all the folks at Medical Association of Georgia, Susan Moore, Donald Pompasano Jr., Tom Cornergay, and all the folks over there, I want to say thank you very much for partnering with the Top Docs Radio Show to keep us on the air and share some great information to help patients and physicians practice medicine around the state of Georgia. Look forward to having another opportunity to have you in the studio sometime. I'll be back anytime. <laughs> we look forward to it. And make sure you all check us out tomorrow. We'll be back with Medical Association of Georgia uh, tomorrow at 12. So we look forward to having those folks in studio then and uh, catch us on the flip-flop. We'll see you then.